Mumenschanzlog, stardate 492.7. It appears that we no longer have any blue paint set aside for this week's performance. Whoever stole all of that, please, please return it to storeroom 5 on deck 34 so we can have this stupid performance that we've all worked so hard for. Welcome to Reengage. <laughs> Part of me thinks that I'm the only one who likes to make fun of Mumenschanz. It's so topical for the early 90s. But here we are. We are together. We are ready to mock everything Blacklight and enjoy everything Jordi LaForge. Feeling very, very relieved that there is no romantic angle, although there are a couple threats early on that I'm sure we'll talk about. They are just determined to fuck with Jordi for us. Welcome to Reengage, the podcast where four Gen X people, artists, storytellers, genii, get together to not do much research and talk about all of the lovely things that we have seen in this week's episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I am Eric Gratton, your host for the week. Excuse me. I am Eric Curry, your host for the week. Ooh. It has been one year since Kate Yeager told the whole world that, that was to be my new name. Uh, I had my first wedding anniversary just last week. So Congrats. I'm here to bring joy to all of you and introduce my cultural bridge officers, my fellow ones. How are you doing today, the aforementioned Kate Yeager? I'm so good today. Not only was it your anniversary, but you did make a Moomenschantz uh, call out, which are they? I remember them from the Muppets yeah. where they would like, they had like toilet paper eyes and shit like that, or they would like destroy their clay faces <laughs> and it, and it scarred me for life. So uh, yeah. yeah. So thank you for bringing that back up. Uh, truly. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw Moomenschanz when I was in either uh, middle school or high school. They did some fucking tour that came through Kansas, and I saw them. And uh, likewise, Scarred forever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's, it's reminiscent of what we see towards the end of this particular episode. Yeah. I'm glad you're here, Kate. And uh, we move now to young Jimmy G. How are you, sir? Thank you for calling me young. I turned 52 hey. just last week, and I too hey. saw a moving shot, but that was after a handful of mushrooms in Laramie, Wyoming. No. Nice. Wow. No. Super jealous. And how did it go that evening, if you remember? All of my mushroom trips have been wonderful. <laughs> well, someday I look for you to be my guide, my friend. Yes. I have never tried it. I... Uh, I would like to. Hey, Greg Tito, <laughs> over to you. How's it going over there? Very uh, excited about that moment shot. Rob, it's because I watched the Muppet Show recently with my kids uh, when it was we found it on Disney Plus, and they were just as disturbed uh, as I was, <laughs> uh, and they have now refused to eat mushrooms. So, <laughs> ooh, that's the. Uh... <laughs> I blame it on Laramie. <laughs> Laramie fucks up a lot of things. <laughs> so many things. We are here today to talk about Identity Crisis, the 18th episode of the fourth season of The Next Generation of Star Trek. This is a, an episode that, honestly, I did not remember much of. I remembered the blue, and that's just about it. So it'll be fun to talk about with all of my lovely friends. It premiered on March 25th, is that correct? Mm -hmm. 1991. Yes. 
And uh, there was lots of stuff happening in uh, Los Angeles and the greater world around it. Why don't we ask Greg Tito what was happening in the world? Well, the Soviet Union is continuing to fall apart before our very eyes. Um, uh, about a week before this aired, there was a national referendum the first and only uh, by the Soviet Union to be like, hey, should we uh, call this whole thing off? And surprising no one, uh, it was 80% of the electorate said, no, this is great. We love the USSR. It's our favorite place ever. Don't ever dissolve it. Um, so they it kept along for a little while, while member states started to uh, declare their independence and get away from it anyway. Um, so very interesting that there was the one, at least they tried. They tried a referendum to get it going, but it did not work out. I'm sure it was honest, straightforward, and transparent from the beginning of the announcement <laughs> through the end of the voting. Exactly. Especially since I think uh, six out of the 15 republics boycotted doing it at all. They were like, mm, this is BS. Not going to do it. <laughs> on march 22nd pamela smart was convicted uh for murder for seducing a she was 22 at the time uh, a teacher in north uh, new hampshire seducing a 15 year old boy who then murdered her husband i remember this being a, like a movie yeah uh, you probably have seen many <laughs> Uh, uh, of this ripples of this in the culture through uh, every cop procedural and law procedural used this as a basis uh, for stuff going forward. I remember hearing about it at the time because I was like, oh yeah, why wouldn't a 15-year-old boy want to make out with a 22-year-old? Um, there's many reasons why, obviously. Well, didn't Nicole Kidman make a movie? I feel on the like... story itself? <laughs> Yes, yes. It's well, been that's used a, for? a bunch. For. Oh, such a great movie. Slightly happier news. <laughs> On March 24th, the day before this, WrestleMania 7 occurred in Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. This was when Hulk Hogan defeated Sergeant Slaughter for the WWF heavyweight title. Fuck them both. Sergeant Slaughter. Nice. Loved that, that there was a G.I. Joe uh, WWF crossover. Makes no sense, but... Oh, there was there was NBA. There was GI Joe tried to get their little hands on everything. A good forum, right before they <laughs> completely became irrelevant in the worldwide zeitgeist. Even though they've tried several movies. Oh, my 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 GI Joe friends loved you so much. <laughs> and then speaking of uh, of a thing that did not have world. Uh, attention at the time uh, the world lead of American football started their games uh, right around this time so the first ones uh, London beat Frankfurt 24 to 11 Sacramento nice. beat Raleigh Durham and uh, Montvale beat Birmingham 20 to 5 uh, and uh, those scores I'm sure are etched into all of your memories as you watched <laughs> all of them extremely carefully and they are still debated to this day and then the NFL started their own world league to both bankrupt that and give themselves a minor league to draw from. My favorite of those was the, I believe it was the Scottish Claymores who played in uh, Edinburgh or Glasgow, the two cities I know in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Perth. Wait, no, that's Australia. Never mind. <laughs> so that's what was going on. Uh, but I think there's a lot of fun things happening in entertainment. Well, what do you think, Kate? Is that the case? I do think that that was the case. Uh, number one on the music charts, a song that uh, I did not know, One More Try by Timmy T. 
Timmy T. Ooh. And I tried to learn it just for this uh, episode, and it was so unremarkable that I was like, I give up. Uh, bless you, Timmy <laughs> T. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Way to do, Double T. Uh, but also on the music front, uh, new kid Donnie Wahlberg was arrested on arson charges in Kentucky. Oh, Donnie. Oh, I we always that. knew he was the bad Because around boy. the time his little brother was beating the shit out of uh, Vietnamese people for being Vietnamese. Is that not correct? That is correct. I don't remember what time that was, but must have been right <laughs> around there. Uh, the movies were an amazing place for you if you were a 12-year-old boy uh, because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, was number one on the charts. 12 might be a little too old for that, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) We'll we'll call that the 10-year-old's dream. I will say that I I went in for Law & Order a few years ago and the director of the episode was the director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. No way. And I completely fucking fumbled my audition because I was starstruck. That's amazing. (laughs) Just couldn't fucking get through it. It was awful. It was the worst audition I've ever given. (laughs) You were the guy who came up with the ooze? That was so great. Legit. That was all going through my head the whole time. (laughs) Could not keep it together. Go ahead, Kate. The 63rd Annual Academy Awards took place. Dances with Wolves took the top spot, as well as Jeremy Irons winning for Reversal of Fortune and Kathy Bates for Misery, Mm. taking top honors that night. And in the theater world, Will Rogers Follies premiered in New York City, a place I'm told is mighty pretty. And that is (laughs) your pop culture news. Well, hell yeah, great pop culture a-happening, and uh, I'm sure that's also reflected in the -the behind-the-scenes machinations of our uh, creatives with this episode. Jimmy G, why don't you tell us what was happening behind the scenes? Happy to do so, Eric G. Uh, You already mentioned some (laughs) of the the Blue Vein stuff. It actually was a pretty big deal in 1991. Um, In fact, the special uh, effects crew is uh, credited with pioneering this ultraviolet look. Um, And uh, it supposedly went on to have heavy influence in the world of MTV with their commercials and videos. And as well as in Batman and Robin, right? Wasn't it using that? (laughs) This is Tron Erasure. The script originally had Jordy and Susanna romantically linked, but uh, they thought that Jordy's love life failures was already explored enough uh, in the previous two episodes, so maybe they could leave off. Uh, It was too soon then, and it's uh, still too soon. (laughs) Oh, my God. Visual uh, log from the victory that Jordy went into the, the holodeck and recreated. If you noticed, uh, they went back to the old style uniforms in that. Jordy's actually wearing command red rather than um, his gold that he has now. They also, um, in continuity props, used the old phasers and the old tricorders. Ooh. I could not confirm whether the phasers in there were um, pre nine levels of phaser fire <laughs> that we have discovered so far. And the shuttle that we see, the Cousteau, carries the airy ship number 40164.7, which is of note because this is the very first ship that Riker turned down a command of. Ooh. And that 
Is it Nemesic Files? <laughs> well, hell yeah. Then that seems to me to indicate that it's time to jump into the episode proper. We initially find ourselves with an unidentified voiceover. We're on Tarchan in 3. We're dealing with the investigation. We have Ensign Brevel giving us a, a voiceover. We never heard of that, dude. The stardate is 40164.7. We're watching the USS Victory. The thing is, we don't know it's really a flashback unless we really know the stardate. So Jimmy might have known. All of you might have known. I did not until we see Jordy LaForge in that wrong uniform. Boom. Flashback. Did you guys, uh, at the moment uh, that the episode started, note the differences from what we usually see? And how did that set you up for uh, watching the episode? I like the kind of found footage feel of this, right? With the the title on the bottom. Um, it definitely mm -hmm. felt like they were going through like evidence or something like that. And I liked that they didn't explain why, right? It was kind of cool just to be like, hmm, why, why are we looking at this? And what, and then no, I didn't note the star date difference, but I did note the difference in Jordy's um, kind of appearance and co uniform color there. So I was like, oh, this might be something that involves a crime or something that was going to be investigated in this episode. He also has his old visor on in that scene too. I forgot to mention. Oh, so it's that's a neat. different visor than what he has in current episodes. I didn't note that. That's super neat. I, it felt to me like he was also doing a little bit of youthening to his voice and mannerisms, but uh, nothing too uh, over the top. Subtle to the point where I might be making it up, but it did seem like that to me. Hmm. Um, but we find out that this whole outpost on Tarchanon 3 just vanished we, without a trace, no footprints, nothing. We have ourselves a mystery episode, everybody. I love a mystery episode. Lieutenant Lighton gets together with her people there and they find no evidence as to why everybody disappeared. Hey, no footprints, nothing, but... Maybe the wind. Maybe the wind. Maybe a sandstorm, we find out later, is another idea. But we go right to our uh, conference room, discovering that this is a recording that is being watched in current time. The uh, lieutenant from the initial voiceover, uh, the ensign from the initial voiceover, and Mendez and Hickman, the other Starfleet officers uh, that were assigned to this investigation, have disappeared from their posts within the last few days of now says Lieutenant Lighton, who is older. They have given her some age, and they have made the hair just a little bit less contained and given her more freedom in how she would like to express her hair choices. That means she's older. She is currently on the Enterprise. We have a, a meeting in progress. Uh, it turns out that of the five people who were initially involved, three have left their posts Hickman, Jordy says, was seen headed back to Tarchanon Tar 3 uh, the last time he was in contact with anybody. Five years after that first disappearance, which is still unsolved, those investigators have started disappearing, leaving only Lighton and Jordy. All right, now that the whole setup has happened, where are our thoughts? What are we thinking? I love a good mystery. I love that we're, we're exploring disappearances initially, and now the people who were exploring the disappearances are now disappearing themselves. Levels upon levels upon levels. I'm a fan. 
And I was excited about this episode. I was with you, Eric, that I had very little memory of this episode. So it was a real time sort of play out of what's going to happen next for me. Uh, This is a trope you see a lot in action movies, right? Where uh, the people who are on some super cool SEAL team did something and now members are disappearing uh, and they got to piece it together. So I was curious. I didn't remember it at all but i was like oh what do we, is some have they been murdered are we what did they do what's gonna happen so it's pretty exciting uh stuff being set up but i had wondered why uh i mean it was brilliant that there was this video footage of them on the planet and this should have been adopted by all away teams right like <laughs> you go down Record what's happening because you never know if it's going to go sideways or not. And we might need to uh, have a little black box. Uh, so <laughs> something they should have kept from the 21st century that they they've seemed to have abandoned in all cases, save this one. <laughs> I just assume that I, I imagine the four of us have all worked in um, some sort of business setting as well. I just assumed that Starfleet figured out that they'd rather have a phone call than an email. Uh, uh, with all of these investigations. Uh, <laughs> let's deal with what we remember, not what we can prove. Safer for everybody. It is odd that the communicators, which take so much prominence in this uh, show, don't also have a video camera or some type of right. audio you know, right. recording of what's happening. It seems like it should be a part of it. Although I would have hoped that the 24th century would have better lighting. I guess they just have that one, you know, really blow everything out kind of light. You're like, come on, buddy, let's get some ambience, put a gel on it, it'll work. Well, if you would have told them in 1991 that doorbells had cameras, they would have just laughed. <laughs> Sci-fi's one yeah, thing, they, buddy. They, <laughs> they really should have body cams in those uh, communicators. You're absolutely right. We have suddenly... A uh, set course to intercept Hickman in his shuttle. Uh, it turns out he is pretty much on a very close course to Tarchanin Three himself in his shuttlecraft, which is a little too fast for the Enterprise to catch at this point, uh, which is an impressive shuttlecraft. But Jordy's back where he belongs in Ten Forward with an unmarried woman. <laughs> <laughs> they they are. <laughs> There are little things uh, that they do right away to make sure that we know. She calls him her little brother. A little bit later, they talk about the Lighton LaForge team or duo uh, back in action. Uh, but first, we hear about Lighton marrying a troll named Bogro. And uh, Jordy is named her. Uh, that's about when she tells uh, Jordy that he's her little brother so that we don't worry unnecessarily. Good team. Uh, they have found the Hickman shuttle, so it's time to leave 10 forward back to the bridge. Uh, what were your initial thoughts or <laughs> uh, reactions to the 10 forward section? Relief. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they started talking about her almost marrying some guy, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. She's, they didn't get married. She's available. They've known each other. But then she drops that little brother, and I was like... That is clutch, because uh, it's not only great storytelling, but it's also great acting, because that is that is real, the number of times I've had to tell, you know, someone in my life, oh my god, you're just such a brother to me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're picking up what I'm putting down there, but... <laughs> no, bro. 
Well, doesn't he say this yeah. stuff about, you know, he's just been enjoying the bachelor life? Is that the scene? Too much. A little too yes. much, he I, said. Dude, you're a, a liar. You have not enjoyed the bachelor <laughs> life at all, man. We had one whole scene where you're all pouty about how you can't seem to get any kind of romance going. <laughs> Uh, so I was very happy when the little brother thing dropped. Yeah, plenty of subtext from from both actors in this particular moment. Thank you, writers, for giving them such incredible things to play in, in this particular scene. Glad they did it. Glad we know where we all stand and where they stand. And we can move to the bridge where the shuttlecraft is not responding to hails. We are within sight of Tarchan and 3, but we cannot quite get within range of teleporters as he enters the top of the atmosphere. Oh no, he's going to burn if he doesn't slow down. He's not responding. If he doesn't respond, they won't have to hire an actor to play Hickman, though. <laughs> Please respond. And then it turns out, oh no, the producers saved money and the shuttlecraft did, in fact, explode. Well, he um, was in the, in the, in the about... found footage part of it, right? So they had to hire somebody. No, he wasn't. Oh, he's no, not he in that. It was the other. It was the other three. Uh, Got it. Uh, it was. Uh, he's off screen. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, same with Mendez, if I remember correctly. That uh, makes sense. Yeah, this reminded me of the scene where Picard um, coaches someone to bounce off the atmosphere in order to survive. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was very similar to it was a, one of the ensign Wesley's friend. Um, and I started to think about after now all this episode, like, was this, was he already transformed? Was Hickman already transformed? Is that why he just didn't know mm. how shuttlecrafts work? And he just, I'm going to the surface. <laughs> uh, and his hands don't work and he was scared. And that's also, you know, a very uh, horrible image. I don't want to imagine yeah. blue veined Hickman not knowing how to use the <laughs> push buttons. For, for the, the listeners at home, Greg is doing very good hand work while, <laughs> while he shows us. My hands are fused <laughs> it together. It's a reveal and I've got blue veins hands. on my neck. He does. They match his shirt just a little bit. <laughs> um, we get down to the surface and we find two more shuttles. Away team, let us away. Uh, we beam down to the planet Uh and we find a scraggly dust planet like Los Angeles by the oil wells. Uh, very <laughs> different than what we usually see. We don't usually see scrub brush and things like that on these desert planets. So we're going to take a look around the uh, perimeter. That's Worf's job, of course. And then around Mendez's shuttle pod, they find, or not they, Ensign uh, Leighton, Leighton finds foot, footprints. And these footprints are also slightly different than a, a human footprints might be. Um, extremely well-defined footprints too like i just want to say yes the people who created this this effect made it very seem like nope those are 100 percent footprints they, <laughs> they they like raked raked the dirt and made it all real nice looking and then put down the footprints there extremely uh, uh carefully yes it's a very bigfoot type situation it seems like yeah harry and the hendersons so uh we have flashlights in this uh, dusty area. Uh, it seems to be the best way to get through <laughs> and see what's going on. I don't know about you guys. I'm sticking next to Data and Jordy. So <laughs> someone who can actually see what's happening uh, can be near me and let me know what's going on. Uh, Data says there are no life signs, but Worf knows better. He is certain that he's being watched. In the meantime, Jordy has found a ripped, empty uniform in the shuttle. 
So we have a Hulk. We do. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't like him when he's blue. Um, <laughs> the uh, stuff is happening, and it turns out Lighten is missing as well. The suspense gets ramped up. I really, I, li- I like how this almost turns into like a, a horror movie feel, right? Where everyone is investigating on their own, and then cinematic use of to, to create the tension as Lighten is exploring um, is is really effective. I like there's when she finds those footprints in the soil, she just really subtly reaches up to her neck. And then like we cut away from that. And but I definitely caught it. I was like, whoa, (laughs) what is this? Yes. Hairs or blue veins? Right. We will find out soon enough. And the wharf, when wharf was being watched, that music was really scary. I I found the music kind of in the whole episode to be really interesting and yeah. fun. Uh, they, they, they chose their places to go away from the normal uh, synthesizer uh, chords and, and do some new synthesizer chords. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I will say, I also noticed that when Lighten was gone, everybody's saying commander Lighten, commander Lighten. And then Riker goes Riker to Susanna. So we know what, <laughs> what, what is happening on the enterprise <laughs> over the previous week or two. He works works fast people yeah and that makes me laugh uh and then they decide to fan out because yeah let's split up (laughs) (laughs) it's necessary for us all to have that little heightened uh sense of danger jordy finds her of course the right person to find her super paranoid so he calls her Suze to uh to calm her down just a little bit and she seems almost feral to me Mm -hmm. like it's it's she she has certainly lost her her sense of direct communication at this moment and it's it's a neat little clue there is no dana only zool (laughs) (laughs) only (laughs) sues only (laughs) sues to the sick bay and they struggle through the whole transporter trip it seems to me they're lucky they didn't turn into a scene from cronenberg's the fly (laughs) they didn't (laughs) they were still separate When they caught up on that transporter pad. Oh, I was just going to say, there's a moment where she is sure that the other two are alive that I, that I caught on to where, you know, he's like, right. Nah, there's no signs. And she, and that, and then she becomes, you know, I can feel them. She freaks out. Yeah. Which I just think is also like, cause where, what kind of alive creatures don't have life signs. That's intriguing to me. Sick bay. Suze wants to go back. No can do. Picard says they've completed a surface survey. And Geordi says, well, you know, Data's got a preliminary report. Why don't we go look at that before we make any decisions? And Suze is mollified. They leave sick bay. And immediately Picard breaks any HIPAA thing and goes right to Crusher and says, uh, so what the fuck's up? She says, scans are clean, man. But so were Mendez and Hickman. Dun, dun, dun. So whatever this is, and there's going to be something, no scans are showing it, right? They just haven't scanned hard enough. Right. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. Scan and harder. All of our, I'm sure the four of us all have some theories as to how they can improve sickbay moving forward. Lighten disagrees with what everybody's saying. We got to get down to that planet now. We got to look deeply from the surface. We got to be there. I noted that as as that like innate desire to get to the surface that is probably the first indication that she's she's starting to turn here, right? Like that she's she's right. I must get down there. It's like a compulsion. 
And I like that that cut that raised red flags for me immediately. And for me, this is the scene where it becomes very clear that this is an addiction metaphor mm. because her her physical behavior is very closely resembling that of someone who's tweaking. Uh, and it starts in this particular moment here, someone going through a withdrawal that that she knows how to fix it. Other people don't understand. I know how to get myself feeling right. And you don't let me do it. Um, it gets more direct later on, but but <laughs> as an addict myself, this is where I started to really, really note that. Jordy points out, as they're discussing all of this stuff, that her hands are trembling, and that freaks her out even more. Oh no, it's starting. That was a really good moment. It really was. Yeah, because uh, it felt like her, non- her introspection and her fear, we all felt that fear of like, oh, it, it, whatever happened mm. to them, it's happening to me too. And I just, ooh, that was chilling. Yeah, and it's it's not something that there's evidence for beyond what she is experiencing. And so we all just believe her that she knows that her body is different and going yeah. through changes. Okay, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's a uh, middle-age metaphor. <laughs> there's so many. So Jordy says, you know, I'm here, Suze. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. So uh, again, we're we're re-solidifying for the viewers and for the characters that that this is a long-term friendship that they've seen some shit together and they've gotten through it before. Uh, so that's a nice little reminder there too. This felt like a little bit too like that might have been parts that they didn't revise. I mean, I guess in a <laughs> in a little brother big sister way that line still lands. But part of me was like, was there was there more here? Like, is that because that felt right. very intimate the way he said that? Sure. Yeah, um, but I definitely yeah, I, got. I, that. I feel like there are a few like that. I definitely, I have those friendships right with men, where there have there are some ride or dies that I have in my life that like this would be the conversation that we would have. Uh, so I, I I bought it at face value. Like, I see what you're saying, that it could have been interpreted, you know, it's re- it's really uh, handy dandy when you can write dialogue that goes one way or the other. And then we find that Data has found alien skin cells in the ripped uniform. That's not good, uh, because that's a Starfleet uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, footprints were also not known to match any Tarchanan life form previously known. I guess that's good to know. Uh, no, no big three-toed monsters uh, usually wander Tarchanan three. <laughs> it's not noticed last time, though. Picard says perhaps due to sandstorms or some other thing, these footprints may have been erased at other times but data's gonna figure it out he's gonna make he's gonna make this all work out they didn't have anybody raking raking the st- they didn't have anyone raking the dirt <laughs> beforehand but now that they have someone who's got a rake it's just very space balls um, <laughs> <laughs> oh you found shit that actor is tuvok from voyager really that's awesome yeah. that is fantastic Yay, careers. <laughs> Yay, careers. Jordy and Lighten talk in the Trek Evader for quite a while about what the investigators had in common. So Crusher and Data don't think they'll find anything in this search, but Data thinks they should keep going. He's not worried. He can't be worried, he points out. But he's dot, 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 dot. Strongly motivated. Strongly motivated. What's the difference? This is one of those conversations that Data is there for. We are here to discuss the human factor in life forms. What do you think? Is Data implying that his um, 
like I like to think, his uh, under um, programming is is getting better and better and better and more closely uh, modeling itself after actual emotions, or are we looking for excuses and Data's still just a robot, robot? <laughs> I find it more interesting if he's always just a robot. All right. Um, That's fun. And, and this is in Jessica Poster to what happens in season three of Picard. Like, I really love Data being an android because Bully is an android. He's a much better mirror for humanity. Like, he's a, he's a teacher and a lesson of this is what it, you should be. You should aspire to be like me. Me aspiring to be like you is backward evolution. Like he's already the best <laughs> human with that because he's not human. Uh, and he's just programmed to do the right thing. And it's just, for me, a lot more interesting and absolutely lose interest in him completely when he becomes human and feels like us and talks like us and has all of our, our foibles. Like, we don't need you then. We already have a whole other cast of people to show us how idiotic we are. You were the one who was to show us how we could be better. So for me, it's always just great programming. And a little a little late, it's the, the writers are like, is he? It's like, don't. Keep him <laughs> as an android. It's better for me. Count, counterpoint, Jimmy is an emotionless husk. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I disagree wholeheartedly. Um, <laughs> but I like what you said, Eric. Right? It, it, the way it's written and the way Spiner portrays this moment, it's not that he doesn't even say my friend is in danger, but that's all implied. It's all the, what we as humans take away from how he's acting. And even Crusher is trying to lead him with those questioning to be like, oh, no, you care, right? You, you These are emotional attachments. And I love that he... Uh, data just plays that completely straight and it's just like well yeah i i'm strongly motivated and that you're right what's the difference you would do that for a friend and it's the same lines each way he's just not saying you know i'm doing this for jordy because he means more to me than you know some random ensign schmo over there it's an intriguing thing because before quantum computers and some of the some of the things we're working on now by definition computers have to prioritize they can do one thing at a time um even though they can do one thing at a time very 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 fast they can do one thing at a time so like it's interesting that he would choose to prioritize the things that are most likely to anyway it's it's an interesting thing i dig it and i agree with you jimmy too that it is much more interesting with this double meeting instead of him just being like i've got emotions just like everybody else in a southern yeah, fuck lore. I uh, I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> Was that southern? <laughs> with who? I'm with you, Kate. <laughs> I just thought I'd just say in general. I just I oh. disagree. <laughs> all of you. That's with all when of you the assholes. Podcast really soars. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me mansplain it so you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, let Jordy. Uh, Jordy and Suze are in engineering. She's tweaking hard at this point. She wants to get to the planet. Nothing at all is suspicious about how she's acting. Um, <laughs> Jordy says, absolutely not. Uh, she's starting to spiral. I need to get off the ship. I need it. I need it. And here is, to me, where the, uh, the parallels to um, 
addiction are very, very clear. And and through to the end when she's helping Jordy. Uh, spoiler alert. Forget Crusher the logs. We gotta go to Tarchan. And she says, it's waiting for us. She starts to run and she collapses. And suddenly, here we are, our first view of Blue Veins. Again, it's quick, this episode. The plot happens fast. Every scene is plot. I dig it. This is an amazing reveal, right? Like the 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 fingers fused together particularly was upsetting uh-huh. to me. Because like with you're hit with the veins right up front, right? But then she's reaching out with these like gross like, and you're like, don't touch Jordy with those gross <laughs> fused together fingers. Agreed. It is a good reveal because of the emotionality too of her like running away. Like you can like, oh, she's gonna go try to get a shuttle and she's gonna try to get down there as as, as quickly as she can, and that's what we think is the matter. And then we realize, oh no. It's already begun. Her, her the, you know, this th- she's actually changing before our eyes, and I like that that kind of one-two punch of this, uh, the conclusion of this scene. And then we find ourselves right into sick bay where they can apply the T cell stimulator, and I could hear Jimmy smile from nine thousand miles away when she said, "Apply the T cell stimulator." Of <laughs> like that is Jimmy's shit right there. Yep, I love when they do uh, trechno babble, meadow babble, all of it. Now I want him to get a T-Pose simulator. Oh, that's where my mind went. <laughs> they can't all be home runs. I don't get it, but I like it. It turns out she's very sensitive to light. So look at this. They put her in a blue light to match the veins. It's inside, she says. I can't fight it. It's winning. And Jordy gives her one of these you can't give up Sue's. Once I saw the addiction thing, I just cannot unsee it. This is classic withdrawal. It's it's kind of amazing. But Jordy's probably next, okay? I mean, four out of five, 80%. I'm, I'm sure that Jordy's next. Even though Bioscans, again, show nothing's wrong. Sounds to me like Bioscans suck. <laughs> <laughs> she says he may have weeks. It may be today. With that information, the thing they do is, all right, LaForge, make sure you have as uh, much freedom as you want for the rest of the ship, and we're going to leave you alone so there's nobody watching you. Go. They start out saying, you know, maybe you should stay in sickbay. What do you you think, buddy? He's like, nope, got to work. And the captain's like, well, um, what happens if you decide that you want to go down to the planet? And then Jordy says, well, what would you do, captain? And that's that's all it took. Like, Captain would clearly wander wherever he wanted to go, <laughs> endanger whoever he wanted to endanger. And he's like, that's fair. That's Good point. Fair, Jordy. Go ahead. <laughs> Good point. Do the Good same. Point. Good point. <laughs> I'll have the computer watch yet. And then we go to Jordy doing his version of Enhance, turn 90 degrees, Enhance, Enhance, <laughs> trying to find the, uh, the data inherent in the information that they have that will surely save his life. Would you guys take Data's help if he offered it? Because I would. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> Data scares Jordy like a creeper, too. That that little coming up behind Jordy and then just kind of touching him and Jordy freaking out and jumping on the uh, on the ceiling like a cat. That was that's my kind of shit. I like a good Data laugh. Yeah. And that, I like how that harkened back to what happened on the planet. Right. Like it, it was like a similar. There's the same pattern is occurring here now with with Jordy. Right. He's he's so into the mystery in his own mind that he doesn't really 
see much of what's going on around him. That, yeah. I didn't catch that, but that you're right. That's exactly it. So maybe uh, he says Jordy uh, should indulge in a brief rest period. Like, that's really good advice, Data. But as, as I said earlier, can the super speed brilliant android who never gets tired maybe help a little? And uh, obviously not. I got to do this myself, buddy. I can barely keep my eyes open and I'm missing half the stuff I'm scrolling by, but I'm the only one who can find it. I also love that the only piece of evidence they have is this like 15 second video recording that they just keep watching over <laughs> and over and over again. There's like no other line of, of uh, inquiry or any evidence at all. It's like, nope. We got this tape. We're just going to keep running it back and forth until well, we find something different. It's less than a year after JFK. It's got very Zapruder <laughs> film type Back vibes. and to the left. Back and to the left. Yeah, Oliver Stone fucking with all of us. <laughs> so we go back to Suze, and now she's glowing and apparently generating a disruptive field. More more uh, candy for uh, Jimmy. And go ahead, talk about the eyes. The eyes were, like, so cool. And I love that Jimmy told us that this that these kind of effects were used in MTV, because I see it, right? Like, that is totally... It's striking, it's interesting, and I can totally see people adapting that into, uh, you know... Jamiroquai. Future. Yes, Jamiroquai. Thank you. <laughs> oh, love Jamiroquai. I love the way it was revealed too, because a you get that the flash, you know, flashlight on uh, her skin and how her reacts to that, but the eyes are looking up at Crusher, and so you can only see it from the side at first. That they're like, oh, her eyes are glowing a little bit, and then she does this acting moment where she turns to the camera, and then you realize you're like, oh my gosh, her eyes are like full on glowing. Like this is. And it was a and it was a, a emotional moment. She was trying to say or do something at that moment. I was like, oh, that that freaked me out more than anything else. It was like, oh, is this demonic possession? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> Spoken like a true ex-Catholic. It is right. Her head turned all the way around in my dreams, and uh, green vomit everywhere. <laughs> but it doesn't match the blue. That's that was the big problem. That's where it gets into moment chance clash kind of situation. Is if the vomit's green from the blue person. <sighs> <laughs> so we we're dealing with a rapidly accelerating issue. One of these new pieces of data that that uh, Crusher finds says to her that maybe it's a viral crash. I she love says, that which also had Jimmy very happy. There's that. a lot of really fun babbling of. Things that are completely true, I'm sure. I haven't looked up viral crash, but it's super neat as a term. And then she says the thing that is the funniest line in the episode where Crusher says, we're going to examine any inconsistency we find. I'm like, that's a great idea. You should start with that. Um, <laughs> like, oh my goodness. We've just been going over all these inconsistencies looking for, I don't know, something else. Right. We're not going to just um, scan. We're going to double secret scan. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so Jordy doing more of this enhance back into the left kind of issues that he's got going has found a shadow in the footage without a visible source. He's found the shooter in the grassy knoll, everybody. <laughs> the, com <laughs> the computer can't quite figure it out, though. So we're going to the holodeck. Holodeck time. Nothing bad can happen. 
uh, he, he goes to the holodeck for the hollow simulation. The door opens, and it's time for a commercial. Uh, what do you guys think we're going to find in the holodeck? Were you excited that he's going to do some uh, some holodeck science again? It worked so well for him last time. <laughs> yeah, I was dab. I because I couldn't remember. I was like, what could go wrong? Like, what's gonna? I, how will the ship be taken over? Will the alien somehow manifest in the holodeck and like run amok like Tribbles? Like, it's, a holodeck hardly <laughs> ever is successful in a good way. Like, it almost always goes sideways. So when he's going up there, it's like, oh, here we go again. The holodeck's about to fuck shit up. <laughs> and Jordy in particular has a pretty bad history with holodeck science and relationships um, on there. Um, well, I love, you know, he's, he's right before he goes in, his handshakes, just like he saw his uh, friend's handshake. And instead of reporting that to anyone, he's like, nah, it's fine. That's how that's, yeah. <laughs> it's so upsetting. And, and across all genres of entertainment, <laughs> the character will never admit something's wrong until it's too late and it screws everybody over. It's the zombie bite that you Yeah, it's the zombie hide, bite, right? <laughs> but if the last 3 years haven't told us that 90% of people would do that, yeah, I mean, that's what true. has it taught us? Yeah. Yes. Well, like played. literally 90% of people will not well tell played. someone when the zombie gets bit. This holodeck scene it's really boring. Uh, here's what I was going to say. This holodeck thing, it's its a really great way of showing an investigation that is uh, not dramatic or or like there's nothing inherent. It doesn't really find anything out in this other than that they're okay. There was a shadow of someone there. And it takes us like a good like seven, eight minutes of him like, oh, no, back up the footage. No, take out those people and do this and blah, blah, blah. And you're like... It was a really great way of filling time in a weird way in an episode that even though I'm saying it was boring and it didn't do anything, it still ramped up the tension because we the whole time were like, is Jordy going to discover anything before he himself starts to turn? Like, so it was this. Oh, yeah. He's on the clock, right? Yeah. yeah there was this ticking clock that he doesn't know about, but we know about. And I found that really interesting, as well as that the fact that they use the holodeck um for for good in a way that actually uh seemed plausible right like oh yeah he's he's using the the computer technology giving them the parameters that it needs to to extrapolate information and finding out something new he does find like, oh there was someone there something that was undetectable by any of our sensors no, i agree it was a great way of using the holodeck and i don't think uh the character jory laforge gets nearly enough credit for how good he is at talking to the computer he knows how to talk to in Alexa. This one, and in uh, Galaxy's Child, you know, he really knows how to set those parameters <laughs> for Majel. Majel. To, uh, you know, debate back and forth and really dig down in there. Because I talk to Google all the time, and it doesn't fucking understand anything I want. So kudos <laughs> to you, Jordy. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Mr. LaForge. Oh, I was just going to say, I loved it. I, I fucking loved it. I didn't find it boring. I thought it was exactly what I would want to do uh, as a kid and <laughs> as a now is go into the into the movie and like take shit out and like move shit around and like mm -hmm. I also just thought it was really cool as a, as a filming exercise like having all of those bodies you know in space and and the recreation of of 
sort of com computer back and forth that we have using real bodies in time and space was just really interesting to me. And, uh, you know, I, I like watching someone deduce things. <laughs> I agree. I, I felt really good about it. I just wish it had been just a little less long because I don't like it when the entire audience is ahead of Jordi LaForge, one of the smartest people in the universe. Um, I think we all knew it was invisible before he did. And uh, uh, maybe. I also, uh, get, I have to give a shout out to the actors in this too for uh, their standing statues. Uh, and then walking backwards uh, and having to to recreate what a in a living simulation would be um, was not easy. I'm pretty sure as well. Uh, and with the high definition way we are watching this now, I could still I could see the the imperceptible movements as they were trying to stay still. And I just want to give a shout out that they they tried their hardest. So the moment Jordy sees the recreation, and before we really do. Uh, he develops his symptoms and gets claws. Claws! Jordy has claws. And every one of the four of us is doing the claws <laughs> into Zoom now. Um, but we go back to um, the uh, sick bay because we find that Suze's issue is a parasite in the thymus. A measurable, dealable parasite that we missed on 50 Maybe 50 different scans between the five of them. Just missed them. Just great scans. Including the transporter, right? Like, they yes. definitely use the transporter, and it definitely never was like, oh, just a small note. There's a living creature inside you. <laughs> Ugh. Using her immune system, it is changing her. It is smaller than the mucous membranes, so it could have entered that way. Her DNA is changing moment by moment. So let's get rid of the parasite. Okay, immediate cutting sounds. She says, let's get rid of the parasite. And then it's like a chainsaw. No, and did you see the guy bring in the contraption that was used in the season two finale that with Riker with like the the needles going into his head? I didn't see that. It's the same prop that they bring in. Oh, man. She's like, I haven't got to use this in a long time. <laughs> Get the extruder out. Oh, amazing. So the surgery is successful, but we are not sure whether her body will continue healing on its own or whether the changes are permanent. We'll find out in the next few, I don't know, minutes, hours. Time is a is a flat circle. But we should probably get LaForge in on this. Yeah, exactly. We've done an entire surgery. We figured out the problem, all of that. And yet now we say, uh, we should probably bring Jordy back to sickbay. What do you think? Now yeah, that's that we've a good known idea. for hours what the issue is. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out, can't find Jordy. Can't find him. He's not on board, says the, says the computer. And then Crusher says he's likely now a chameleonic kind of thing and can't be found by our, quote, Sensors, which always gives me the shakes. When an actor says sensor, right. I feel like it's, I feel like I didn't hear the pronunciation realtor until like 10 years ago. 
and now it's all I hear. I feel like I heard realtor for the first 37 years of my life, and now somebody's decided that they're super villain serious, and they are realtors. And now I'm stuck on chameleonic. I want to start yeah, using that. chameleonic's even better. <laughs> chameleonic chronic. Just incredible. Jordy can't be found by our sensors. How about we use our sensors to find the parasite inside Jordy? Can we use that now? <laughs> They don't have to carry the big thing with the spikes, the head spikes around. Just running through the halls. (laughs) You all are delightful humans that make me happy. To the holodeck! Worf will take the perimeter again. (laughs) He finds Jordy's uniform. And now we go to the transporter room six, where we get invisible Jordy, finally. Predator Georgie. Yeah. Georgie. Uh, predator Georgie. <laughs> Georgie. <laughs> it's like a mixture of Predator and did you guys see Dark City? Yeah. A few years yeah. later. It's got it's got that kind of feel to it too. Like like ripples in the air. Mm, totally. Quite lovely. I feel like that's a really terrific moment of uh, implied violence there. What did you guys think? Well, what did you guys think about? I, I was slightly confused in that moment. Was it... Was there still Jord- enough of Jordy in there? Because he goes to the the transporter console and does something. So he's both this new thing, but just enough that he still knows how to operate, you know, like high tech right. stuff. And it, you know, it, it, and I guess that sort of translates to what we saw earlier with people piloting the shuttle, but maybe not knowing enough about it to really know it, they were in danger. Um, and it was like this weird uh, tension of where is he in this evolution? Right. Um, and are these things, do they like just lose all of that? And now they're primal once it fully takes over? Like I kind of felt in this moment, again, because I had been tracking what I considered to be an addiction metaphor in this, that this is the moment where the addiction is so bad that you'll do anything, uh, including... Uh, rob attack people you know steal uh do you know disobey orders that that kind of stuff and that there is enough of him there that he knows he's not on the planet and he knows how to get there uh and i had no problem with that because he's still reversible crusher tells me as if mm-hmm. she could possibly know such things uh without <laughs> without having ever um examined him now that she knows what she's looking for and there is dialogue too that says it, it changes differently for each individual so the timeline mm-hmm. for hickman is going to be different than the timeline was for laforge and lighten right so they they do kind of say like okay we're changing <laughs> it's not the same gestation period for every <laughs> single person but but at the same time we do know now somehow that it's less than an hour uh, before we can't get Jordy back. Uh, if we get close to Jordy, we can shine a black light on him, and then we'll be able to see him. So we gotta, we do gotta go back down to the uh, to the planet in order to get it. Uh, we see Suze; she's looking a lot better, uh, and she tells them, "No, you've got it wrong. It's not a parasite at all. This is how it reproduces. This is how it spreads. Still a parasite." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just one that's a little thirsty. And he thinks you protest too much and maybe you like the parasites. And that's the thing. Part of me was like, maybe maybe she's uh, not necessarily only there to help. But uh, by the time she's down on the planet, I, I had given up that particular possibility. I just think it's hilarious that Data is this you know, fastest moving 
thing that they have on the ship. And he's like, it's going to take me two minutes to uh, affix this thing to the flashlight. And he's moving so <laughs> slowly. He's like, let me take the screwdriver and turn it slightly one thing to the right. And you're like, Data, come on. Have so you, I thought you were strongly motivated. This is not strongly motivated. <laughs> Enough for yeah, like... Yeah, we need a little more bishop with the knife here, Data. Yeah. Come on. We got androids who can do it. Measure twice, <laughs> cut um, once. That's what he was doing. <laughs> but he can measure so fast. <laughs> so she says she's the only one who can really find Jordy and, and get him through this. So they take her down to the planet with them. We're going to turn off all the lights. Black light is cool. All the aliens are here, she says. We can find them all. It all happens very quickly. Uh, they turn left and then turn on the black light, and there's three rubber-suited blue aliens that look pretty damn cool, mm -hmm. but they do not look like they know what's going on. Uh, two of them escape, and there's a Geordi-shaped one right there. He has joined Moominchance. Save him. They're non-union. Um... <laughs> But Blue Man Group um, is also non-union and uh, was clearly Correct. inspired Correct. by this uh, by this episode. <laughs> I think that's fair as well because <laughs> they do use the black lights in their in their particular moments as well. There's not, in my opinion, enough movies that have copied the Tron aesthetic, but there is there is a lot of Tron in this particular next five minutes too, which is nice. You can see Grandpa Tron. This is my shit. I love the the black light neon feel i i love the physicality that the they've chosen to, uh, for the aliens the kind of skittishness uh, rather than any apparently rather than any sort of uh, aggression being normal with these aliens and that it possibly was the aggression of the human side of geordie that that pushed and threw the uh the uh uh, tech away in the transporter room. That's where my brain went with it. They seem like gentle creatures. Prey. I feel like they they feel like prey creatures versus yeah versus prey predator. animals. Yeah, which makes sense with the uh, chameleonic stuff. So to me, this entire scene between uh, Jordy and Suze is where the addiction part that that is in my head canon is really clear because this is all about. I know that you think that this is done and this is who you are and this is what you are now. And, but there is you in there. And if you can recognize me and know that I have been where you are and I am no longer there and I am here to help you join me where I am back where I know you want to be. If you ask yourself, honestly, I promise I will help you if you can just reach your arm out to me. It has to be your action, not mine. But I'm here for you if you want to take advantage of that. And to me, that is so clearly the way you talk uh, in so many different kind of treatment situations for addiction that this is what we're trying to get the audience to understand is there are problems that only other people can help you with. And it's really a delightful scene in, in that way, uh, when I look at it that way, uh, I, I don't know if any of you kind of had similar reactions to scenes like this. I, I think Star Trek is really good at using sci-fi for metaphor, which I think is almost always necessary with genre stuff and with all art, really, because art is communication. And if a story is going to mean something shared between people, then it 
needs to mean something outside of its own story. So to me, it's clear what the metaphor is intended to be here. But I do wonder what each of you thought watching this scene. Well, I did note that it was interesting that once they found Jordy, they didn't just beam him up, right? Beam him directly to sickbay. There was this communication. There was this moment. and, And it was very clear he had to take her hand in order to complete that process, which took forever, but it was also effective, <laughs> right? It was it was a yeah. moment. It was very Patty Patty Lapone moves her arm. <laughs> <laughs> but I did I did note that it was it was not we've got you 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 damn alien you know it was hello dear hello hello <laughs> right. dear friend you're in there we've got you yeah. If you want to be gotten. Right. Yeah, I thought it was notable, too, that it was uh, Leighton who was the person who made this connection, right? Part, there was a part of me who was like, man, it would have been cooler if this was like Data or or someone who he has a relationship with on the ship. I felt like that might have been um, a way to develop the relationship more. But I, I appreciate what you're saying and that it would only really work with someone who understood that process and this addiction metaphor that you're going with where like a sponsor it only really works for people who have been through it and seen the other side and there's a trust level with that like someone like data wouldn't have the the language to be able to to kind of break through and 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 get to jordy in this state um so i found that i found that very interesting i wanted to actually ask you too with we continue this metaphor they definitely clearly say uh, especially after this end scene, that they can't reach Mendez and and uh, Bravel, and how does that fit into your to your metaphor there? I mean, you know, depending on what the research says, uh, based on which drug you're talking about, like the drugs win a lot of times, um, and there is a point where, in order to save someone, you have to intervene rather than. Uh, and then there's also times where it's been made so clear to you. And it, we're going to talk about this in the final uh, thing because I've just gone through an example very like this in my family. Uh, and I'd like to take a moment at the end to talk about it. But um, there's a point where you have to let someone go and they can come back to you or they can't, but they need to come back to you. And in the meantime, you kind of turn your back do you know um because uh dealing with them is disruptive um and it's a a super interesting thing they didn't go that far with it but that's what i saw in terms of keeping it in the metaphor is addiction can be so thoroughly changing that that person you know is unreachable um and you can just hope that they find their way to the surface again or that they find that they want to find their way to the surface again and can and can get back in touch with you. But uh, I think it's a very common uh, thing with with serious addictions. Um, yeah, that's know, I don't think you see it a lot in caffeine, but the rest of it, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's where I came down on it. Makes sense. Uh, I, I, I wish I had a good joke to, to move it further, but I'm sure we'll have some laughs before we get to the end and I bring it all down again. Um, I, I think... It's it's lovely when they when they make that connection and how quickly the episode just kind of 
ends after that. You know, he takes a moment where he considers his own transformed hand, you know, and decides that he doesn't recognize himself or want to look that way. And then he reaches out uh, after she says, come home. And then he comes home. Yeah, just before, I do want to note that I loved that this was uh, LeVar Burton acting this, right? Like there is there is a world where they they cast someone else to be this suited alien and uh, mm-hmm. would have to do this. But I loved that it was LeVar Burton and you can see his, not even his facial structure. It's actually mostly from his movements and how he relate, relates to... Uh, both lighten as well as his surroundings that like it's it, the movement shots thing joke we keep ha- having here but it is a moment for him to show uh the breadth of acting that you can do without using your voice and and storytelling that you can come with it and i thought that was really great and i don't know if the episode would have worked if they had hadn't used lavar burton uh in makeup and in a suit to do this yeah it's terrific mask work kind of all the way through uh then and, and the same with uh commander lighten uh, in in my uh, opinion as well. So we're at Jordy recovering in sickbay. He doesn't have his visor at first, and they I love every time they let him click in that visor. It's just such a super interesting sound effect, very subtle, and uh, how he settles it kind of every time is is really nice little piece of acting. And he says, Lieutenant Commander LaForge reporting for duty. Uh, and uh, that's when we know he's back. I'm glad he wasn't um, fully recovered. You know, I'm glad it's clear it's going to take some time and be a process for him. We find out through his memories that uh, the aliens act on instinct alone. There's no thing that you would call an intellect there. Uh, another few minutes, he says, and he would have been lost and gone. Uh, and uh, the captain says, hey, you know, we'll leave warning beacons, make sure nobody else goes down there and hopefully it won't happen to anybody else. Go ahead, Kate. Shouldn't we worry about everybody who was on the Huawei team? Just yeah. I think so. Just a thought. <laughs> it's not transferable, except for a transfer. Except for somehow it transfers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, if this is how the race reproduces, isn't that a death sentence? By saying, nope, yeah. nobody go to this planet anymore and they're not going to be able to reproduce now. Yeah. Well, they'll send some some uh, scientists some like criminals. in the thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the new Australia. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Seti Alpha Six. <laughs> um. <laughs> so that's our episode. I I had a really complex time watching it, and I think I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm not sure that I'll seek it out again anytime soon, but uh, let's let's kind of go around the horn and see see what we thought. Uh, we'll start with Jimmy G. What's your score? And tell me how you feel. Uh, I'm gonna give it seven quarantined planets. Um, I love the premise of it. I, I thought there's a lot of misses though. Um, you know, I've done, I've been in prosthetic makeup before, and I can tell you, just taking off prosthetics, you look like hell. So it's pretty impressive that these guys are completely go through a complete molecular change, and they come back and they're they look pretty good right away, which you know really downplays how much of a change was it really. And you know, like I understand that back then these are all almost with with very few exceptions is one episode they're not spreading them out but at least drop in some time frame references where we know 
the transition isn't, you know, three seconds. And now I got three digits that are gigantic. Like that's painful. And you had mentioned the fly. I was like, that's <laughs> a great example of the grotesque nature of your body changing. It's, you know, growing pains is a, is a phrase because there's some pain with growing and changing and, for these guys, it's like, you know, a camera flick. It's like, oh, look, my hand is totally different. <laughs> and like we just mentioned with the planet, like not only are this this new race of people doomed to death, but these are, it was 39 people or 49 who were abandoned of the Federation. So there's at least 50, you know, 40 to 50 Federation people whose family thought they just disappeared. And now we know what happened to them. And there was no resolution. There was not no mention to let's wrap this up for people who have for five years just thought that their family disappeared. And now we know not only did they not disappear, but they're alive, but they're different. And that's a whole other thing of, wow, that's painful. Like dad's alive, but he's this, you know, glowy thing. And there's some real section 31 shit that they're missing because we know now there's a species that's invisible until you hit it with blue or with ultraviolet light and you can use that shit. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's usable information. That's valuable. And, you know, it's just like, ah, we're done with it. Let's go on. Let MTV work with it now. Um, so I love the sci-fi <laughs> nature of it. But again, there's this sometimes in 1991, they just gloss over things that today we we just dig into or like, no, let's really unpack what it's like to transform into a whole different species and then transform back. Like, so it's still good enough that you should definitely watch, watch this one. Um, and, and, uh, you know, scheduling wise, any young TV people out there always do what Star Trek did and give episodes to your, your crew, like to all your actors, but please spread them out. We didn't need three Geordie episodes almost in a row. Like, they could have sprinkled that a little bit more. And uh, I'm disappointed that they didn't. All great points, Jimmy. I'm with you. Kate, what are your thoughts Hello. on the subject? I'm going to give this uh, seven and a half fused fingers. So I'll let you do the math on what that actually looks like and what you have to cut off. Um <laughs> But I I enjoyed this episode. Again, it was not one that I remembered, um, which I'm kind of glad because I got to experience the mystery in real time. Um, so that was good. I was surprised by revelations. Uh, I felt like it was a redemption episode for Jordy. I agree with Jimmy. We did not need three Jordy episodes so close together. But I was relieved that we had this episode where we got to see him have a real relationship with a woman that was not problematic and was, Amen. in fact, quite uh, quite ri rich and real. And I, I loved the fact that, you know, she was the one that talked him down at the end, um, because even though she was a newer uh, character to us... I thought that that really honored the work that they had done to show how close they were um, in the past. And so to me, that was a really lovely circle, not only of her being the one that most recently had gone through this issue, um, but also the voice of somebody who maybe knows Jordy better than anyone on the Enterprise, for all we know. Um, that's how close their relationship seemed to me. 
So, uh, yeah, I like it. I'm I'm for it, not against it. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Kate. Greg, tell me your thoughts. I'm going to go with uh, eight and a half needles poking into Riker's and uh, now Leighton's brain uh, to remove the thalamus parasite. Um, I love this episode. I think it's interesting on a lot of levels. It is a procedural and that we're trying to figure out this mystery of what occurred to them as it is occurring to uh, the characters that we you know feel and 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 have uh, familiarity with. I enjoyed that uh, you know Lavar Burton's performances here. Uh, he gets to be his all the gamut that we've seen of Jordy. He gets to be annoyed, angry, uh, irrational Jordy. He gets to be, uh, you know, friends. Oh, woe is me, uh, Jordy. He gets to be uh, sincere and, uh, you know, open-hearted Jordy by the end. And I really enjoyed um, how uh, this is a, uh, you know, a more Jordy-centric episode even than the ones that we've had recently. We actually see him growing and changing here a lot more than we have. I like all that. Um, I don't think I have too many criticisms other than it isn't resolved, right? So I think uh, similar to what uh, Jimmy said, I, I keep thinking about the fact that they don't really kind of close the loop on um, why this planet and what these people are and, and, and body cloaking technology that might be possible here. Like, you're right, that could mean a lot uh, going forward, as well as being able to hide from sensors uh, is an extremely um, important <laughs> little bit of Star Trek lore uh, that is added that they just kind of uh, hand wave here. And I've mentioned before how I enjoy how these later seasons or these middle seasons of, of Star Trek Next Generation don't do the wrapping up kind of conversation that you know that used to be with with uh, uh with the original series crew uh and then continued with the first couple of seasons with Riker and Picard but I feel like this needed a little bit more of a button uh beyond it must have been the good advice that I gave you all those times uh that was what what brought you back which um didn't didn't quite land as as, as well as I thought it, it could have had but other than that it's a fantastic uh mystery um, that we get solved uh, and would only have been done quicker if they had just done the double secret scans to begin with. <laughs> so remind me, what's your what's your uh, grade? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. I like it. We have seven to eight and a half with you guys, with y'all. I also would like a uh, a scene where they're wheel where top men are wheeling a caged invisible animal into a back storage room to be uh, uh, <laughs> that would be more realistic an ending. Uh, uh, but uh, yes, exactly. Uh, but in the meantime, I will also give it eight and a half. Um, Moomin Shants. <laughs> I, I think it's a really fantastic episode. One, one of the things that, that makes Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous anonymous is, is the judgment of society, right? So it can be one of the barriers towards recovery is not knowing who to talk to, who in your circle has been through it, who that you know might have been through it, things like that. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I choose often not to be anonymous in my own uh conversations about addiction um, because I want to make sure that it's open and that people know that they can reach out to me if they have questions uh, or if they if they want my advice on on what my journey has been like I will say that that the, the kind of religious aspects of of some alcoholics anonymous issues were initially 
off-putting to me, but what it is at its core is a community of, of people who are all looking for an answer to the same question and all looking for the ability to talk to one another about uh, the, the, the same problem all of them share. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we lost my beautiful, amazing, kind nephew, Max, to his addiction. And um, uh, he was 30 and he knew he had an addiction and he knew he needed help and he tried and he tried and he tried and ultimately uh, he wasn't gifted enough time uh, to to find a way that worked for him uh, and I just want to encourage all of you to to not give up it's hard it's so hard and it's so lonely and it can feel impossible and I promise you that it is not um, that there are people who have been exactly where you are, who are ashamed of themselves, of, of things that they have done, of people they've hurt, of ways that they've distanced their family and friends, and that there are people who will help you uh, as long as you truly understand that you need help, because you do. Uh, it's not something that one can go through alone their whole life and it's a lifetime um so this episode i found to be extraordinary honestly i i don't know that this is what the writers were thinking or any of the actors are thinking but i do know that artists experience extraordinarily high rates of addiction and it wouldn't surprise me at all uh if that's where some of the inspiration on both performances and uh uh, writing and directing and producing came from in this. Um, I love all three of you. And if I haven't said it out loud, all three of you have been very instrumental in my own journey. Um, and I would like you to know that. Um, I had a really interesting time both watching this and going through this with you all. And I hope that you all had a good time listening to us. And in the meantime, on behalf of Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, Jimmy G, and myself, Eric Curry, I hope you have a fantastic week until we see you next time. Thanks. And my pants are wet. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97 on Twitter. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the traveler to reengage.